Welcome to Trap Talks. My name is Sushant. I am an e-commerce entrepreneur and each week we bring an inspiring entrepreneur or business person from e-commerce, retail or tech industries to help you discover how to start and grow your own e-commerce business. Thanks for spending some time with me today and let's get started. entrepreneurs my name is Sushant and welcome to Trep Talks. This is a show where I interview successful e-commerce entrepreneurs, business executives and thought leaders and ask them questions about their business story and also dive deep into some of the strategies and tactics that they have used to start and grow their businesses. And today I'm really excited to welcome Matthew Griffin also known as just Griff uh, to the show. Griff is the co-founder and CEO of Combat Flip Flops a footwear and apparel company that sells goods manufactured in conflict and post-conflict zones. Griff is also a former army ranger serving four tours of duty in Afghanistan and Iraq. And the company uses their profits to aid the areas in which they are made as part of their mission to encourage peace through trade and business over bullets. And today I want to ask Griff a few questions about his entrepreneurial story and some of the strategies and tactics that he has used to start and grow his business. So thank you so much for joining me today at Trip Talks, Griff. Well, thank you for having me here. I'm excited. So I know that you have a very interesting story. Uh, you were an ar- army ranger and you did tours of duty in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And I also believe that you got the idea or you came up with the idea for combat flip-flops while you were serving um, in I, Afghanistan. It was, a, it was a few years after, but you know the military is what first got me going over there and it's what's kept me going back. Um, so yeah, the idea was formed after my time in service. So, so what, what motivated you for that? Can you share a little bit about, you know, your backstory, you know, how did you get into military? Um, and what was it like serving in Afghanistan, Iraq? Yeah, so I, I'm a military brat. So my father was a 20 year retired army guy. Um, it was pretty apparent to me in college or in high school that my parents couldn't afford my college that I was going to go to because I was a good student. I wanted to go to a good school. So I had to get a scholarship. So it was either get a scholarship, join the army, use the GI bill or go do a mix of the two, which was West Point. So I went to West Point, the United States Military Academy, and I graduated in 2001 and I became an artillery officer. So big cannons, dropping big bombs. Uh, That was my specialty. And then September 11th happened. Um, Then I was resolved to go into special operations as an army ranger into the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, got there. And, you know, I, I grew up just like the rest of us, be all that you can be, get an edge on life in the army, serve your country, do all of these things. And you believe that you know, what the figureheads in DC are telling you, what the military generals are telling you. But then when you're actually there on the ground living in villages, you see it's much different than you were told for a decade plus time. And what I saw was that we weren't fighting radical groups we weren't fighting all of these other things we were fighting poverty and a lack of literacy and there's nothing that a bomb or a bullet can do over those two things and i saw the same thing i did three tours to afghanistan i lost a few friends did a tour to iraq lost a few friends and uh at that point in time i'd been in for about five years and i decided what we weren't doing as a nation wasn't working so i wasn't going to continue doing that it was fruitless that was it. Uh, so during that time, I also got married. I had two kids. So life was really busy. I was 27 years old with 
know, a couple kids in diapers, uh, had no idea what I was going to do. And so I got out and took a job as a home builder, as a site construction manager. So I, I wasn't an entrepreneur when I first got out. I didn't have this idea, but I was always into entrepreneurial books when I was in the military, especially when you're in special operations. Uh, there's a lot of mandatory reading lists mm. uh, for different top tier special operations units. And I'm sure you guys see them in the movies, but they have reading lists. And so when you see one of those guys reading a book, you look over, you go, hey, what book are you reading? And they go, hey, man, here's the reading list. And so here you have these the top of the top military special operations super ninjas. And they've got a reading list. And when you read through them, about 75% of them are business books. And so that's where when I was on deployment in between missions, I just started reading business book after business book after business book. And I really found that the entrepreneurial lifestyle was something that I, I felt I was capable of doing and aimed toward, but I, I didn't have the skills or the experience to do it. So I, I got out of the military. I took a job as a home builder. I was doing really well on that until the market crashed in 2008, lost my job. And then I took a job as a military sales director for a company, um, working to put clinics and doctors and pharmaceuticals in developing nations in difficult areas. And they hired me to talk to the military guys and the contractors, because this is 2008, Obama just got elected, contractors started going to Iraq and Afghanistan, and they needed pharmacies, they needed doctors, they needed clinics to support their operations. And so I would go to these areas to see what they needed, solve their problems, and then sell them the stuff to solve their problems. So I was a sales guy, essentially, but I was traveling all over the world doing it. And everywhere I went to these conflict zones, it was a very much different story. It was a very different experience because I didn't come in on behalf of the US government. I came in on behalf mm -hmm. of, of a commercial company and I was hiring locals. I wasn't carrying a gun. I didn't have body armor. Yeah, I could shake hands. I could hug. I could meet people. I could sit down. I could break bread. And this is something that most Westerners will never experience in these nations because they just don't have the opportunity to go there and see the other side of the 95% the, the of the culture that's not depicted in the news. Mm -hmm. And that really changed me as a person seeing that. And what I learned was is that areas that are needing security need more business. I'm, a, I'm an artillery guy, I'm a map guy. And so when I go to a country and I go, okay, it's a dangerous country. And I just look at where all the attacks are going on. They're usually in clusters and they're in three clusters. They're around government buildings, military compounds and convoys and reporters, hmm. those three. And what people don't understand is Afghanistan's a huge country. Those areas that are taking the attacks are probably the total of like 10 to 12 square blocks. So you have the rest of the country you can work in, just stay away from those certain areas. And the areas that, were, that didn't have any attacks were the areas that were flourishing with small business. The guys who work in those stores, if it's bad for business, it's bad for family. And they just don't let anything go down on their street corner. And so I was in Afghanistan. I was in Iraq. I was in Jordan. I was in Kenya. I was in Sudan. I was in the DRC. I was in all of these different places. And it was the same story over and over again. So the thought kept occurring to me is why are we continuing to send armored vehicles and jets and bombers and drones and all these other things when we should just be sending entrepreneurs? We should be working with businesses to create jobs on the ground, putting people in the schools so that way they have a more educated workforce because people would rather make money than they would fight. But unfortunately, in places like Afghanistan and Iraq, only business is fighting. I think, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, 
you know, when people don't have, when people have families and they don't, they don't have jobs and they don't have a means of feeding them and in the media and, you know, on the internet, they see that, you know, other nations, other places, especially in the West, there's a lot of, you know, wealth and money. And I think that that probably leads to some, uh, a lot of it, you know, I think it's easy to uh, get people to, uh, to fight uh, as, a, as, a, as a way of employment if they don't have any other options. One thing that's very, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, firsthand experience, we would catch guys and we'd bring them back and we set them down in interrogation and they're not radicals. They're not extremists. You ask them why you're doing what you're doing and they just look at us and go, how else am I going to feed my family? That's the only way that they can feed their family is to fight. When, you know, that's very interesting. So when, you know, as, as a person who's living in the West, and I, I think a lot of people who are in the West, when they think about countries like Afghanistan and Iraq and things like that, you know, most people would even be very well hesitant or worried about uh, going there because, you know, as you said, the, the war was occurring in, in certain places, every, everywhere else was good. But even then, I think there's a certain perception that if you go there, just because of, you know, everything seen in the media, the beheadings and things like that, um, people think that there's a certain animosity in the people against you know, anyone who's coming from the West. Uh, when you were going there as like sales, uh, in, in, in your capacity as sales and not, not as, a, as an army person, did you ever feel like, you know, did you ever fear uh, for your life or did, was there any animosity uh, from people, you know, looking at you as a Westerner uh, and treating you differently? Yeah, actually, there was one time, once. And it was, uh, it's in the book. So I wrote a book about our adventure. If you guys want to check it out, it's called Steps Ascending, Rise of the Unarmed Forces. You can find it on our website and on Amazon. Okay. But we had just taken delivery of our flip-flops and we had them in the back of a, a bongo truck. So it's a flatbed truck. And we were riding down Jalalabad Road in Kabul, sitting on top of our flip-flops in these bags. And we had our photographer in the back and he was taking photos and we were you know, taking photos, just, you know, just a cool look. I mean, it's just the Afghan mountains in the background, busy street, loads of flip-flops and some guys rolled up on us behind in a motorcycle, like stop taking photos of us. You're just exploiting us. And that was the only time we've ever had any animosity demonstrated because most of the time they understand if, if you're there and you're on the street and you're not fearful, and you're doing business and you're you know, buying goods and you're exchanging services and you're helping people, they're generally gonna welcome you. Okay. Uh, one thing that I was very interested in learning from you is about discipline. I know that army and, and the armed forces, um, when they recruit people to be part of, part of their uh, organization, discipline is a, a big part of that. Can you share a little bit about, you know, um, when you went through the whole process, the, your education process, military process, um, how did, uh, what were some, some of your experiences of, of, uh, of uh, getting that discipline in the military? And, you know, people, regular people, that's, I mean, that's one thing that they, they, they struggle with quite a bit. Are there, are, is there something that, you know, I can do as someone who's not been in the military to, uh, to become more disciplined in my life. There is, there is a very famous phrase in the military and it is this, embrace the suck. Just embrace it. Being disciplined sucks. It is not an easy way of life. It is not a comfortable way of life. You're going to get up earlier. You're going to work harder. 
You're going to, you know, get yourself on a schedule. You're going to watch all of your friends lead meandering lives. So, so, but if, if you want to get ahead in anything, when and I came from a wrestling background in Iowa, and the only way that you got to that top slot was being, being disciplined, being in the weight room longer, working on your moves harder, spending more time, dropping more weight. And in the military, it's the same thing. They've only got so many slots for guys going into the Rangers. And if you want to get there, you have to you know, learn your skills better. You have to run faster. You have to be able to do more pull-ups. You have to you know, be able to work better as a team. And all of those things take more time. And it just sucks. You know, if you want something that you have to aspire to it, you just have to sit there and go, I'm embracing the suck. I'm going to take it in and I'm going to hug it. I know this sucks, but I'm doing it. And it sucks because in the end, I'm going to go get what I want. And that is the only thing that I can say about discipline. I don't think the, the military gives you any discipline. I just think it uncovers the depth of your discipline. I'm and, going to and, and unfortunately, most people just haven't had the experiences that guys like us have had. And so they've never had anything that's uncovered the depth of their discipline. And I will have to say that the only thing that's gotten close enough to it or probably exceeded it, the desire for discipline is running a small business. I have to be more disciplined as a small business owner than I had to be as in the army. I wouldn't say as, a, as an army ranger because lives are on the line, but if it came to you, you take that off the table, you have to be more disciplined as a small business owner. There's a lot more moving pieces around. You got a lot more pieces in play. Uh, there's just new problems that come at you. You didn't need to know. You need to learn more often. And so you have to be very, very disciplined about being a small business owner. Definitely. Uh, so I want to shift the conversation to, towards uh, combat flip-flop a little bit and, and your business. Um, I know that you started this business with a few co-founders. I think there are three co-founders. Can you share a little bit about your experiences? You know, because a lot of the times when I talk to people, um, Create co-founding a business is always challenging because you have multiple people and, you know, sometimes visions don't align you know, after a certain time and things like that. Can you share your experience about working uh, with multiple co-founders? How do you manage the relationship and how do you uh, make sure that your uh, visions are aligned um, and, and what can others learn from your experience? So my co-founders are my brothers. Uh, but they're not birth brothers by birth. One is my brother in arms, Donald Lee. So he was on my team in the Rangers and he's been the longest friend I've ever had in my entire life. Ride or die, thick or thin. If it comes down to it, I know he'll work his ass off and he'll get it done. Uh, the other is my brother-in-law, Andy Suri. Just great human being. Um, came through, he was a professional painter for a large number of years as anti-war as they come but exceptionally disciplined and probably one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my entire life. And the, the three of us came together around this idea. Lee is great at direct response and advertising. Andy is great at design and operations. I'm great at sales and marketing. And so between the three of us, we had everything we needed to start the business. And I think that would be co-founding. And I'll have to say, like, we've gone through our ups and downs. I mean, nobody can drive me to seeing red anger faster than Lee. Nobody, my business partner. And, and nobody drives him faster to anger than I do. But that's one of the relationships. And Andy, my, my brother, who sits in the office opposite of me, he sits there and he watches it happen. He knows the triggers. He knows when it goes off. And we'll be angry at each other for a little bit. But we just let it simmer. We'll let it go. And then we just get back to doing business. Um, there's been a couple times when our 
our visions haven't aligned. And the, the one thing that's brought us back is our mission statement. And when we, when we go back to our mission statement, we all sat down and decided what was important to us as a business. If there's ever a difference in opinion, which one aligns best with our mission statement. And you came and then, up with that mission statement together at the beginning. We did. We what, what, is, what is the mission statement? Uh, to create peaceful forward-thinking opportunities for self-determined entrepreneurs affected by conflict. Our willingness to take bold risks, community connection, and distinct designs communicates business, not bullets, flipping the view on how wars are won. Through persistence, creativity, and respect, we empower the mindful consumer to manufacture peace through trade. That's our mission statement. And then they, every person in our company knows it. We only have five, so it's not very hard. But if you're ever faced with a decision and there's never any of the founders standing around, what's the decision that aligns most with the mission statement? That is the most correct answer. So that's, that's, that's how we do it. And there's a question in here later when you sent me the prep questions, which is going to lead back to this, which we'll discuss later, but um, you know, we've, we've managed it fairly well. You know, we're really tight as people. We try to have as much empathy as we can as a small business owner, you're going to mix family and business. And sometimes somebody's going to be down because of family issues and you got to pick up the slack for them. It's uh, other times you're down and they got to pick up the slack for you. And it's just a matter of having a lot of empathy between the founders to understand where each person's at, whether they're able to contribute to the business at that point in time and then how you guys can all work together to still accomplish your goals while being regular average human beings trying to raise families. I mean, that's, that's very interesting. And I think that, would you say that given that your business is so driven by a mission and, and a purpose, is also the reason why uh, your business is successful to a certain extent. Because when you think about your products, like having flip-flops or you know, apparel and things like this, um, there's, there's a lot of uh, options in the market. Um, do you think that your story and the mission and, and the social uh, aspect of your business is what resonates with a group of people um, that allows you to, to drive the business? It, it, it 100% is. When we first came out, when we first launched, we'd never actually made a pair in production. We sold about 4,000 pair in 72 hours. And that was because it got dropped on all of the military and the tactical blogs and everything out in those networks. And it was advertised to people that would understand our mission and why we're doing what we're doing and respect the, the street cred that Lee and I have and the unit that we came from to understand when guys like us get behind the mission, we're into it, we're doing it. And the military and tactical community have been the ones that have been supporting us since 2012. They've really been the ones who, who understand why we're doing what we're doing and they're willing to support and join what we call the unarmed forces. And, and uh, is that your main uh, market? Is that, has that been your main market and has that evolved since the, since the beginning? That, that has been our main market. You know, we had a successful Shark Tank appearance, which I'm sure you're gonna ask for. Uh, ask about in a, in a few minutes here, but when we when we did that, we scaled out really quickly because you get national attention, and that also diluted our core pool of our data. And we tried to scale out to everybody, but what we found was that you can't make everybody happy. And that's that's advice from Mark Cuban. He said you can't make everybody happy. And so we had that expansion, and then what we realized is we were trying to advertise to everybody, and it wasn't mm. working. So we just went back to advertising to our core customer. And all the systems started going green again. Now, 
I want to talk a little bit about the manufacturing side of things. Of course, you know, you're manufacturing your products um, uh, in Afghanistan, in Laos, uh, in Colombia. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit about how that process started, you know, and, and also given that you're, you're getting things from three separate countries, is, is it difficult to manage? How do you manage this? Uh, I'll have to say it's the same process that everybody uses when they're manufacturing stuff in China. If you're manufacturing offshore, everybody uses the same processes. It's not that difficult. Uh, our relationship in Afghanistan started through the nonprofit that we support, Aid Afghanistan for Education. Uh, the, the executive director owned a textile factory to employ women, and that's how we started manufacturing textiles there. And our design process simply goes down to, we take a couple of photos of things that we like, we do a couple of renderings on some SketchUp or some artwork, and we send them the, the items or the ideas that we're thinking of, and they quickly manufacture prototypes, take photos, send it back to us. And then that we'll repeat that process a couple of times until it gets to something that we think would be market ready. And then they take it to DHL, they drop it off, they ship it on our account. We get it here, we look at it. If we have any feedback, we send it back to them. If it's good, we clean it up, take photos of it and get it ready for sale and place orders and tell them to start producing. Columbia, uh, a little bit different. We started making flip-flops in Afghanistan, but it's financially un- unfeasible to manufacture flip-flops there because they don't have the raw materials. They don't have rubber trees and EVA extruding facilities and leather tanneries. So if we were to continue manufacturing flip-flops in Afghanistan, they'd be $120 and we would mm. go under as a business. Mm. Um, so we looked at our mission statement, Columbia fits our mission statement. And so we manufacture in Bogota, Colombia, where all of our material suppliers are within about a 20 mile square radius of our, or 20 mile radius of our finishing facility. So it's a really low carbon footprint. Uh, we can actually fly down there. It's exceptionally safe. We go around, we meet with all of our suppliers. We, we work with everything there. We go get our finished product done. And then when it's time to ship, it's get it on the UPS truck. You either get it to the airport or get it to the port and ship it up to us. In Laos, uh, we work with a, a, another aftermarket manufacturer. They make high-end jewelry. And so we just work with them on one of their lower designs and they do all the import export. So again, it's not anything different than anybody does with China. It's just a lot of work on the computer, a lot of back and forth. And then if we can, we take factory visits. Right now, your product uh, line includes uh, flip-flops, jewelry, and some uh, apparel. Apparel, and we make shoes too. We make some oh, shoes, shoes also. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about financing. I, I know that you went on Shark Tank, but before before Shark Tank, uh, did you was it uh, was everything uh, bootstrapped, or uh, did you put your own money uh, in there? How did you finance the business at the beginning? Uh, so we we started the business, and luckily I had a, a decent job where I could throw cash at it. When I couldn't throw any more cash out of my savings because my, you know, my partner was getting mad, uh, I would, <laughs> I sold all of my guns. I sold a couple motorcycles. I sold my hot rod. You know, when when you're really an entrepreneur and you want to go after a goal, there's no thing that exists in your life that is more important than that goal as an entrepreneur. And that thing usually has a dollar value. And if I understand its value is better in my business than sitting in my driveway or in my garage then I'm going to sell it and I'm going to put it into my business. So I did that. You know, I contributed money. I sold things. We had as much money as possible. Uh, then we got a couple of small angel investors 
right at the beginning, people who believed in us. And then we got one small, you know, seed investment from a small local VC firm that was veteran owned. And that kicked us all the way to Shark Tank. And then that's where we got hit that next level. And then luckily we haven't taken any money since we found a good banking partner that's actually willing to work with us because most banks for businesses our size won't bankroll you, especially when we make products where we make them. And we found a, a bank that works with mission-driven businesses and they supported us. They're, the organization's called Craft3. Um, so if you're looking for a mission-driven, if you're a mission-driven business looking for financing, check out Craft3. Do you, uh, would you recommend that anyone who's creating a business um, before, before they go out, like, you know, any, anyone who's creating maybe, uh, let's say a product-based business, um, instead of just putting it out there as like some random brand, you know, that they, they brand it and put it out there. Do you think that it's worth thinking about just taking some time and thinking about how they can, how that can help towards a mission or how they can create a certain story uh, that would, that would resonate more with people rather than just putting out a, a, some, some random brand name out there? I think it does. I mean, when you create a product, so real products solve real problems. People want flip-flops that aren't made in China right now. They buy our flip-flops. That's, that solves a problem. People want flip-flops that last a long time. That solves our problem. People want military flip-flops that supports their lifestyle. That solves that problem. So real products solve real problems. And then once somebody comes to your product, then they have to make a a decision whether they're going to buy yours or a competitor's. So now you need your differentiators. So ours come into quality materials, our, our design, our mantra, our vibe, and then we have our philanthropic initiative on top of it. And if somebody spends 40 bucks to buy a set of flopperators, not only are they going to get a badass set of flopperators with a lifetime mission, but they're going to feel good about buying them every every time they put them on their feet because they know a little girl went to school for a day in Afghanistan. Mm. So that's our, that's our differentiator. You don't feel that when you buy, you know, some of the other big brands that mm. are out there. We have that differentiator and it's embedded in all of our products throughout our entire business. And it's something that you need to work on or, or think about. And yeah, if, if you have a market that you're marketing to, and there's something that's relevant to that market from a philanthropic standpoint, consider those initiatives as a portion of your business. Makes sense. Um, I, I'm very excited to uh, ask you about your experience with Shark Tank. I watched the Shark Tank video on YouTube and it was uh, entertaining. <laughs> I think your pitch was very, uh, very um, compelling. Um, you. Can you share a little bit about how did you get the opportunity? What was, uh, what was the reason behind it? Was it more of a financing or was it more that you wanted to leverage the expertise of these, uh, uh, these business people uh, and uh, yeah, what was your experience like with Shark Tank? They called us. Okay. So we didn't even apply. Uh, we had a, a really good news media hit by a guy named Wes Seiler in Gizmodo. And one of the producers read it, got a hold of my phone number somehow, called me, invited me onto the show. And he called me. It's, it's, it's again, it's in the book, but he called me super late on a Tuesday night and I didn't pick it up. Hmm. And I, then I went to voicemail. It was, hey, my name's so-and-so from this show. Yeah, I should, I'd like to invite you on a Shark Tank. And I called him back immediately. Oh, I, I am DB'd him first to make sure it wasn't a joke that my friend was playing on me. And then I, I called him back and we sat back and forth and I'd only seen the show once or twice before. And it seemed to me like American Idol where they thrashed somebody <laughs> on national TV 
for entertainment value. And I, I watched them thrash small business owners, get them to give up on their ideas and shame them in public. It, it, it's, it just wasn't anything that I was into. I was like, ah, I don't think so. You know, I'll figure it out. And I told my business partner, Donald Lee, the next morning, and he goes, are you high? You call him back right now. You tell him you're going to apply immediately. And so that night I, I applied. They have a you know, six or eight page application form and each page is two or three questions with, you know, you know, third of a page of like open space to fill everything in. And I might've made it to the end of line two on one of the answers. They were really short, really abrupt, direct and to the point. And I sent it to him that night and he called me back the next day. He's like, oh, this is the best application we've ever had. You guys are, you know, we're going to introduce you to the producers. And so then we, we dropped everything we were doing that year. We spent two months training for the filming. And we just went down there and our goal was to bring on cash one because you need cash to run the business, but you bring on some professional mentorship that would actually help grow and scale our business. And team Cuban has been spectacular. They've helped us with Amazon, a few other things. Uh, you know, Cuban wears our stuff all the time out in public. So that's been fantastic. And it's, it's been cool. It's been a gr great experience. And it was really a windfall event for us that took us to the next level. But it's not one of those things that we lean back on. You don't find it paste, pasted all over our website, but it, it is cool. And, and when, when you were, um, this is something that I always ask, when, when you had your show, did you see uh, a bump in your sales uh, just because a lot of people saw it? Or Yeah, we folded a full website retool. Uh, we were on, I think, OpenCart as an e-commerce platform before it was just an open source website based mm -hmm. platform that was easy and cheap for us to get on. Then we finally made the jump to Shopify and we made sure their servers could handle it. And they kind of laughed at us when they, about their servers being able to handle a shark tank event. Mm -hmm. like, Man, we process three quarters of a million orders a minute during Black Friday, you're fine. Um, so when we saw the, cause we're on the West coast, you know, we couldn't see the airing until West mm -hmm. coast time, but we knew it was airing on the East coast. And so we had, a command center set up with big screen TVs. And we just saw all the influx and in traffic. We had 44,000 concurrent users on our website mm -hmm. and we did more business in 17 hours than we did in the entire previous year. And in 36 hours, we eclipsed our entire company's revenue. So it was, it was wow. a huge windfall event. We aired in February and at full production, we backordered till the end of May. And then it, almost as if it were on purpose, we shipped the last back order and then they rerun again and we got back ordered to the end of August. So we had wow. you know, a good six, seven months of back orders at full production, which was spectacular. Well, um, during that time, I, th I think the, the biggest challenge for you was just because you ran out of inventory. So you had back orders and now you had to get more inventory. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was the biggest challenge that you faced. That was the biggest challenge that we faced. Okay. I mean, we had our product line dialed. Everything was good. We just needed inventory on the deck. When we aired on Shark Tank, all of the inventory that we currently had at the time would have sat on my desk. We didn't have very much. We, we had gone through our holiday sales. You know, We were just slowly building up inventory for spring. And we got a call in the middle of January that said, hey, you're going to be airing in two weeks. So I, I immediately hung up the phone. I called a buddy of mine who's got some money. I was like, John, I need 50 grand right now. He's like, no, I'll think about it. I was like, no, we're not getting off the phone until you tell your assistant to wire me $50,000 immediately. <laughs> and, you know, luckily he was a good friend of mine and he, he, he did me that solid and, you know, we paid him back a percentage on it. So he made his money back, but uh, it's just those calls you got to make as an entrepreneur when you're, when you have those windfall events coming your way.
Now for physical products, a big part of the business is the fulfillment aspect of it. Uh, can you share a little bit about how you fulfill orders? Is it um, uh, is, is the Shark team helping you with that? Or is it more of an in-house? Is it third-party logistics? Um, and and, and uh, any challenges that you face? Any any lessons that other, others can learn from you? So this is where I'm going to say you have to just get really good at spreadsheets. If you're an entrepreneur, you need to be really good at looking at your costs and cost analysis, specifically when it comes down to shipping and logistics. So we're based in the Pacific Northwest outside of Seattle. The majority of our customer base is in Southern California, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, New York, Washington, DC. So they're about as far as you can get away on a map. Hmm. And when all of our products would come into the country, they would come into Florida, then they would have to get trucked all the way to Seattle for us to unpackage everything, relabel it, and then ship it back out. So it was expensive on the way in and expensive on the way out. So our inbound freight and outbound shipping costs were exceptionally high. So my, my brother, Andy, is a spreadsheet ninja. He looked at everything and he says, we should really move our warehouse to Florida. So we found a third-party logistic facility in Florida that we worked with for two or three years. Uh, and then they scaled out of being productive for us. They just mm. took off like wildfire and we were a small company and we weren't getting the attention that we needed to run our business successfully. So it was a, it was a happy little accident. So we ended up moving warehouses in Florida, a couple hundred miles North to Jacksonville. Mm. But by doing that, we actually shrank our zones, our zone rate on shipping to our prime customers in Florida, Texas, California. And we saved a lot of money just by moving warehouse up North. So yeah, we do everything online. Everything comes in from Colombia, Afghanistan, into the East Coast, stays on the East Coast, ships to the East Coast. So that keeps our, our inbound freight and outbound shipping costs down. And that's all spreadsheet work. Uh, but what I will have to say is if you are considering doing that and you move your stuff to one of those warehouses, watch everything like a hawk. Mm -hmm. If you're not there to stand over what's going on, you're going to get errant shipping charges, mispackaged boxes, everything else, especially as you're coming in. There's a lot of fees and things that rack up. And if you're on top of everything, it's going to take you a month or two to get it smoothed out to where it's at steady state flow. But you have to be watching it like a hawk. Mm. Did you ever try fulfillment by Amazon? Um, because I've heard that usually... Um, it's most cost-effective form of fulfillment. Uh, did you ever try to go that way? So we we have been on and off Amazon, and, and you know, our main thing is we Amazon charges a fee on your products if you sell on Amazon. It just yeah. it does. So we make we've been selling out of our product for years at full margin. So I'm not going to put products in the Amazon warehouse to have them take a percentage to sell the product I would have sold anyway. Um, that being said, we did just restart on Amazon again uh, with a singular product. We'll probably put two or three products on there and that's going to be about it. And we do fulfillment by Amazon for any of our Amazon stuff because when you're in FBA, you're going to see your volume increase significantly versus trying yeah. to do merchant fulfilled. By the way, did, did COVID uh, affect your business? Did it uh, positively affect your business or... Uh, we were watching it from December of 19, you know, we, we tend to keep an eye on the global pulse just because we're shipping stuff all the way around. And so when it started coming up on the radar, we started making contingency plans and 
we didn't know how it was going to go. So we had to, we clamped down really hard through the first quarter on all of our expenses and all of our spending. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody was at home. They don't need shoes anymore. They wanted flip-flops. They didn't want to buy stuff made in China. And we were the only game in town. Mm. So they, our sales took off. We had a record year last year. And wow. it's, it's a struggle to say that given so many other businesses are really hurting, but we were prepared for it. Yeah. And it's just, it's been a really good thing. And the day that they did that uh, face covering yeah. notice, it was like late March, we sold six months worth of our scarves in about three days, which was yeah. really cool. Great. Uh, what does your team look like right now? So right now there's five of us. Uh, I CEO and I mainly manage all of our systems. So I have, I just look at all of the different systems and, and then I run sales and I run uh, our marketing department. So I do all of our imagery and stuff for advertising. Uh, next is Donald Lee. So he's our chief marketing officer. He's responsible for our, all of our buys, our affiliates, Google AdWords, Facebook advertising, Instagram, all of those advertising platforms and spends because outside of product, that's our biggest spend. So he's focused on that. And then Andy Suri is our president. That's my brother. Uh, he runs our design and operations. So he's the guy who makes sure all the products get made right and they get delivered to the warehouse correctly and they get shipped all the way to the customer correctly. And our two employees are customer service. So that was the first employee that we ever hired was customer service. And so it's Jill. And then we actually hired her son and her son does all of our media and imagery. So all of our social media advertising, product photography, um, we, we do that in-house. We don't outsource that. So we're just trying to be relevant posting new content all the time. And so that's, that's our team, a team of five. And then we outsource our accounting and bookkeeping. We outsource our fulfillment. Um, and I think that those are the, we outsource our legal and that's what we do. Who does, who does your copywriting? I, I saw that on your social media, all the posts had, all the copy was very, uh, the language, uh, you know, goes very well with your brand. Like it's, it's military language and, and, um do you do you do, do that yourself or yeah your, i do your that team mm -hmm. okay yeah i do okay. that and it's it's one of those things as an entrepreneur as a business owner this is your idea this is your heart and soul so it's got to come through on everything and when people are looking at your product whenever they're reading about your product you know you're communicating what's within you to them and so that's the vibe we try to have that's that's awesome um <clears throat> Any, any e-commerce tools? I know you mentioned you, you're using Shopify now, which is, I, I guess, you know, Shopify is the biggest e-commerce platform out there. Uh, any tools that, that help you in, uh, in, in, in really managing your businesses, uh, business that, that you can recommend to other people? In, in, so again, we're, we're a really guerrilla, like gritty company. I'd have to say the best tool that we use is Google Sheets. Okay. Um, if you're in the G Suite platform, you know, I, I run on a Chromebook. I use a Google Pixel phone. So everything I have is Google. So all of my systems work through and through. But for $5 a month, you can give somebody the same ability to collaborate with you on everything. So Google Meets and, and Google Sheets, Google Docs, like everything is Google for us. But the Sheets are really great because over the past 10 years, I've really yes, learned the... Sorry, my phone just <laughs> kicked on. Um, my... I've, I've learned what are the priority tasks for me that I have to focus on. What are the, what are the big knobs and levers that I have to look at every day? What's our banner? Like what's our promotion? Like what's all of our sliders? Like what are our hero products that are in there? 
Uh, what, are we changing any collections? Are we adding or removing any products? What's our Facebook advertising look like? Have I answered all of the, the social media comments? Have I looked at our designs that are coming in? Have I looked at our marketing schedule? And so I literally just have a spreadsheet on the single column A, I've just got all of my tasks and they're, they're by block of what I need to look at. And then on the top row, January 1st through December 31st, I have every day and I just go through on the across that sheet and I just make all my notes in there, but it gets me looking at all of the pertinent things for my business every single day. And what used to take me six hours of meandering around trying to figure everything out, now I have going back to your, your bird you asked about earlier, I have a very disciplined process Hmm. which I'm actually able to take a look at all of those key functions of my business and roll through them to make sure everything in my business is running straight, identify any problems and take care of them immediately. So then I can get to focusing on the other important part of your business, which is raising revenue and sales. Yep. Yep. Um, <clears throat> for your marketing, I know you mentioned ads and, and social media and a lot of different things. Uh, how do, how do people who have not heard about your business find you, uh, is, is a big part of your business repeat, uh, customers who, who know about your business and come and, and look at uh, new products and, and buy it, or is your focus more towards acquiring new customers? Our focus is more towards acquiring new customers. Once you're our customer, you're always going to be our customer. We make badass products. We take care of you. We pride ourselves on having the best customer service in the business. So once you're, once you're in our fold, like we'll take care of you. We want to keep you. We spent a lot of time and effort getting you into our community and we're going to keep you there the best that we can. Uh, so we focus on new customer acquisitions. So for us, it's a lot of collaboration. So working with other brands, uh, doing giveaways, working with influencers, uh, that's, that's a big thing for us and, and paid influencers on affiliate, uh, affiliate platforms. And then we do, you know, Facebook marketing. And it's a matter of, okay, what is our current, you know, you take Shopify, download it in your, into your Facebook, whoever's purchased our AK-47 or our flop operator is this customer. And then you just hit the little lookalike button, 1%, 2%. And you go, okay, this customer, according to Facebook or whomever, looks like our previous customers. And I'm going to advertise to them. And so the thing that I would say to you is you can spend yourself in a bankruptcy on advertising. Hmm. All of these companies don't care how much money you spend. They don't care how effective you are with what you spend. All they care about is that you spend. So you need to, you need, you need to be the one caring about your effectiveness. So what we, we've just learned is at certain times of the year, we have to really whittle down our targeting and advertising to certain customer groups to maintain our, you know, our key metric is ROAS. So the return on ad spend. Okay. So for every dollar that we're spending, how much are we getting back? And so a lot of times you're just going to go, oh, I'm going to advertise to these guys. Well, yeah, I know you're advertising to those guys, but it's freezing in Minnesota right now in January. You mm -hmm. shouldn't be advertising to anybody in Minnesota for flip-flops until probably April or so. So you've got to whittle down your, your restraints on where you're advertising to within those groups. There's so bit, for so, us, go ahead. So there's a bit of a seasonality to your business also then. Oh, like. definitely there's a seasonality. Yeah, I mean, we're getting ready to get into the primetime season. We're already watching our web traffic numbers come up. We're already watching our sales come up because now it's starting to warm up. People are wanting new flip-flops for spring. They're researching everything and they're finding our brand with decent advertising and imagery. And then they're coming in. And then once we get them, you know, we incentivize them exceptionally hard with a new customer coupon. And then we get them into, into our funnel and we try to market and advertise to them as best as possible.
So what is uh, what is next for your business? Are you is is a part of your your work also to figure out what are new products I can launch? Uh, are you working on in, uh, on any new products? We are working on new products. So a lot of people have been wanting a slide. So the the flip flop about the thing between the toes. So we have a new slide that's going to launch here in the next month. Uh, we've got some low top shoes that are coming out, and then we're going to be doing a lot of collaborations on our footwear moving forward. So we we do our floperator, which is a it's a it's the burly outdoor beachy flip flop tubular nylon and rubber. So you can just beat the hell out of the thing, and it's it'll last you a long period of time. But there's a patch on the outside that you can change it out. So now we're partnering with other nonprofit organizations to you know make a custom patch for them. We sell the product and we give a we give a portion of the proceeds to them. So that's the that's what we do. That's what we're working on. Is we're always trying to find new products. And then the other thing for us is apparel is really easy to do. Hmm. You know, we come up with the design. We do direct to print, so we don't hold any inventory. So we're always just trying to come up with fresh designs and fresh ideas that are relevant to what's going on in today's society right now. So from the time that we come up with an idea to the time that we can publish it on our store is about ninety six hours. So that's what we do. And and is do you use like any platforms that that help you do that like uh, print to apparels and and ship it out or? Yeah, so we do our design through Fiverr, so okay. F I V E R R, and you can find a find a designer. You can get commercial rights to the imagery and do everything for about forty to fifty bucks per design, and then we use uh, Printify on the back end of Shopify, which is an app that plugs in, okay. and so it's very simple for us to, you know, drag the design over, put it on a deck source out all the printers, determine our costs, write our copy, get it published on the website. It's, it's very quick to do. Now, uh, I know that uh, you mentioned there was some learning experience when you were switching from the, the, the third-party logistics. Um, were there any big mistakes or, or failures or learning experiences throughout your business journey uh, where it was like a big learning experience for you? Um, would you be able to share uh, any any failures and, and what you learn and what can other others learn from your mistakes? I have to, and I, I, I've said this on every podcast that I've been on and I will keep saying it over and over again, but understanding the difference between a profit and loss statement and a cash flow statement is absolutely key. You may be profitable in a month, but your cash mm -hmm. will go red depending on how the cash goes in and out. So that was something that we didn't really conceptualize or put in a really solid action for about three years. And that, that hurt us significantly, understanding our cash flow. But now that we understand our cash flow, we can actually use it to our advantage to put the right product on the deck at the right time of the year with seasonality and plan ahead of it. So the biggest mistake that we made as a business was really, we were focused on the PNL statement for bottom line for investors to, to raise seed money to grow versus really focusing on our cash flow and being cash positive because that's more important than being possible profitable as being cash positive. And, and the reason for that is that if you don't have cash, then if you have like a, a demand coming up for your products, you won't be able to purchase the products to, to fulfill that. Is that the correct? Book? Yeah. For several years, we had to pre-sale stuff. So you would say, Hey, pre-order these AK 47 flip-flops. Here's 20% off if you order now. So we had to discount our product off the bat receive those funds in, take those funds, issue our deposits, build the product, pay for the product, ship the product, then send it to the customer. So we would to cash in on a sale, say for example, in March, 
but you wouldn't really recognize it as revenue until July because of when it shipped or June or July is when it shipped. So again, cash versus profit and loss statement. So it was, it was really tough for us to, to get that done. And so, and there were plenty of times where we had a media hit come through and we knew it was coming, but we just didn't have the cash to have the inventory on the deck. So we weren't actually able to harvest all of the, the profits and the, and, the, and the donations out of it just because we simply didn't have the product on the website. I'll give you an example. When we aired on Shark Tank, our conversion rate was right around two and a half percent, which was great. We aired mm -hmm. on CBS Evening News on Cyber Monday, 2019, and our conversion rate was six and three quarter percent. Well, <laughs> right. So we're three times as likely to convert a customer because we had the actual product on the deck. Well, that that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, now we're going to move on to our rapid fire round. And in this segment, I'm going to ask you a few quick questions and you can answer them in one word or one sentence. Um, are you a book reader? Uh, can you recommend uh, any business or entrepreneurship book for, for uh, other people in 2021 and, and why? I would recommend Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish. Okay. That, that is a great book. Everybody should read it. It's a simple read. Read that book. An innovative product or idea in the current e-commerce, retail, or tech landscape that you feel excited about? Right now, I'm really excited about crypto. Okay. Yeah, are you, I, I, are I, you, I, I, go ahead. Are you an investor? Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit in blockchain. And yeah. I just, uh, us working internationally, us seeing how currencies change, us seeing how you know, people get robbed and how there's a bunch of you know, corruption across everything, blockchain technology is the perfect accounting system and everybody will be accountable in blockchain. So I'm, I'm excited to see what that does in leveling the playing field. So I'm, I'm excited to see what, what's going to happen with blockchain over the next few years. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, blockchain as a technology seems very interesting, but it's with crypto, it's, it's like some people are quite up on it. Some people are, you know, not so much. So it seems like uh, quite uncertain until I think it's, uh, it's adopted um, more generally in the marketplace. Yeah, and just think about credit cards in the early 70s. That was a foreign concept. What do you mean I have a plastic card that somebody can take the number off of and I can buy it and it'll work? That'll, that'll, get, that'll get, you know, criminals will steal my number and yes, that's going to happen. Now it's blockchain. It's the next evolution of payment. What do you mean I have Google Pay? I can swipe my phone across a... a across a, 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 a you know, register system, yeah. Yeah. at a gas station and it works. Oh my God, it's so new. Like it's going to get corrupted. Yes, people will corrupt it. And then they figure out the fences against that. Blockchain is just the next evolution of currency. So I, I'm, I'm just really excited about blockchain. Uh, a business or productivity tool or software that you would recommend. Now I know that, you know, there's discipline, but then there's also productivity. I, I, I know you said Google, uh, Google Sheets helps you quite a bit. Um, uh, is there any other productivity tip that, that you have? Yeah, again, I'm really simple. I keep everything in Gmail because Gmail is faster than Mac mail. And then I have, uh, okay, I'll give you a really good one. It's a text expander. So it's okay. in Chrome, it's an extension, extension in it. But if you find yourself repeating the same phrase, your address, writing all these things over time, if you expand how much time you spend typing those out over a year, it's hours. Yeah. So text expander is where you can mash down on a couple of keys and they can write anywhere from a sentence to a couple paragraphs and your date. 
So text expander is a tool that I use when I'm, especially in sales when I'm, I'm or uh, recruiting influencers, I have everything that I need already written out to answer all the questions they might have because I've answered them so many times that I just create a little shortcut for it. And that's what he is, is text expander. That's a, okay. that's a, that's, that's saved me hours and hours and especially after shark tank where yeah. I answered every single customer service email text expander was, was a lifesaver. Uh, a startup or business uh, in e-commerce, retail, or tech that you think is uh, doing great things right now? Uh, the one that I really like is another veteran business is Black Rifle Coffee. You know, I know yeah. Evan, the founder. I mean, they're they're a large business now with, with decent zeros behind them, but it started with a two and a half pound roaster in his cabin, and now they're delivering you know, pounds of coffee to your door every month for 13 bucks delivered. They've got canned drinks. They've got storefronts going on. They're generating millions of dollars in donations to veteran nonprofits. And I, I really think that they've owned it from start to finish. I'm really excited about what they're doing and how they're growing. And I'm more excited about how many people they're helping. I think someone else also mentioned uh, Black Rifle Coffee. I'll have to go back and, and check, but, I, but the name uh, rings a bell. Um, a peer entrepreneur or business person whom you look up to or someone who inspires you? Right now, I'm a big fan of Elon. <laughs> I, I think okay. everybody is, but just his ability to, and I, I'm like one degree of separation away from him. I know a lot of guys who work with him. And so yeah. I've only heard stories secondhand, but his, he's got skin in the game. Yeah. He's not dealing with all these VC investors, everything else. He invented the technology that gave him, you know, the cash to be able to do all these things that he's doing now. And when he gets down and he says the business, he doesn't have to answer to shareholders. He doesn't have to answer to all these other people. He says, I need you to do this. I need you to solve this problem for me now. But so how he solves problems, one, is great. And I just love how he's just sticking it to the man across social media right now. I just, <laughs> dude needs wheel, a wheelbarrow you know, to, to move his 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 man parts around, man. He is just loaded. Like I, I got a huge <laughs> amount of respect for Elon right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how he does it. His, uh, his brain is definitely a little bit different. Um, final question, uh, best business ad advice you've ever received or you would give to others. And this is it. So I was struggling. I was pitching. I probably done about 60 or 70 pitches at this time. And I'd been told no uniformly. And so one guy took pity on me and offered me some advice. And this is the same advice I'm going to offer you right now. And it's going to start with a question. What does a CEO do? And I, you know, I gave this guy a whole bunch of like jarbish catchword bingo from some entrepreneurial class I didn't take. Right. And uh, he's like, you do three things. He's like, you raise money, you hire well, and you solve problems. You either raise money through sales or funding. You hire people that are smarter and better than you in everything and every way. And then you solve problems. Nobody cares about your problems in your business like you care about your problems. You can pay somebody a million dollars and you can make zero as a founder. And you're going to care more about that problem than that person getting paid a million dollars. The problems always stop with you. So you have to be a professional problem solver. If you're an entrepreneur, you're a problem solver because every time you solve a problem, you are now one step closer to success and your life is going to be full, full of problems and you should be thankful for them because it's showing you the roadblocks to being successful. And as soon as you get through them, you're going to get past that roadblock and you're going to be one step closer. 
So that's, that's the best advice that was ever given to me is you raise money, you hire well, and you solve problems. That's great. Thank you. Um, I'll ask you one more question because uh, I'm, I'm beginning to think about this more and more. When you have a business, do you think about an exit strategy? Do you think, you know, because business has many different levels, right? So right now your business at a certain level, do you ever think how do I evolve? Like, how can I, because you were saying, you know, hire really great people. Do you ever think that you can hire a really great CEO and replace your job and so that you can, maybe you can start to go, go out and start a new business or, uh, you know, you can do something else. Yeah, Have you, do you ever, do ever think about it? Yeah. No, I do. And I love what I do. And when I'm sure you guys have all heard of Tom's shoes, you know, buy one, yeah. give one. Uh, we were very fortunate in that I knew the first employee from Tom's. And so when we first started our business, I asked him, you know, how'd you guys grow? How'd you guys scale? And they said, yo, the story will take you so far. You know, your business acumen as a founder will take you so far, but then at some point in time, you need professional management to really help scale the business. And at that point in time, you know, Blake, the founder of Tom's, they hired a guy that could fill that role. Then he really focused on brand as the chief storytelling officer. And I see that's still my value in the company is I would love to see my business expand. I would love to be able to hire more people. I would love to be able to generate more donations, all of those things at the hands of somebody who has more business experience, knows how to make it scale and make it work. And that's, that's better for my team. They're not fumbling through it like I've been for the past decade. And then be able to really focus on telling the story of how we're making more of an impact. That's where I think my value comes in as a company. And so the, it's definitely something I think about, but I enjoy running my business right now. I enjoy learning about it. I got two daughters in high school. You know, we're not moving anywhere for a couple of years. So it's something that's a couple of years down the road, but it is something that, that comes to mind often. Okay, Griff, thank you so much. Those were all the questions that I had. Uh, now is the, your opportunity to share a little bit about, uh, you know, where people can go buy your, uh, your, your products, uh, your website, maybe Amazon, uh, your book. Yeah, so everything on social is at Combat Flip Flops. Uh, if you want to go to our website and check out our products, it's combatflipflops.com. If you want to follow me personally and interact with me, my Instagram is at combatflipflops.griff, G-R-I-F-F, and just hit me up there. Love to hear from you. Perfect. And, and you mentioned your book also. Uh, where can yeah, I have buy? a book called Steps Ascending, Rise of the Unarmed Forces. So if you want to hear about the world's craziest entrepreneurship story, it's a very quick read, but you can find it on our website. And if you like eBooks or audiobooks, our COVID gift to the world is we're giving it away for free to entrepreneurs. So just go onto our website. You can download the eBook. You can download the audiobook, And you can listen to the crazy tale of how we started a manufacturing company in war zones. Thank you so much, Griff, for joining us today at Trep Talks, for sharing your story, for, for sharing your amazing story, and also uh, some of the great business insights um, for being so generous with, with your time. Uh, so really, really appreciate your time and, 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 uh, and your story. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.